we continue to have in this church a minority of stubborn heretics trying to twist the Scriptures in such a way as to believe that cats are going to go to heaven. So, more evidence for my case they won't be there. I want to read to you an excerpt from a dog and a cat's daily diary. First, the dogs, 8 a.m., oh boy, dog food, my favorite. 9.30 a.m., oh boy, a car ride, my favorite. 9.40, oh boy, a walk, my favorite. 10.30, oh boy, a car ride, my favorite. 11.30, oh boy, dog food, my favorite. 12, oh boy, the kids, my favorite. 1, oh boy, the yard, my favorite. 4, oh boy, the kids, my favorite. 5 p.m., oh boy, dog food, my favorite. 5.30, oh boy, mom, my favorite. 6 o'clock, oh boy, playing ball, my favorite. And 6.30, oh boy, sleeping in my master's bed, my favorite. Excerpts from a cat's daily diary. Day 283 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I'm forced to eat dry cereal. The only thing that keeps me going is the hope of escape and the mild satisfaction I get from ruining the occasional piece of furniture. Tomorrow I may eat another houseplant. Today, my attempt to kill my captors by weaving around their feet while they were walking almost succeeded. Must try this at the top of the stairs. In an attempt to disgust and repulse these vile oppressors, I once again induced myself to vomit on their favorite chair. Must try this on their bed. Decapitated a mouse and brought them the headless body in an attempt to make them aware of what I'm capable of. And to strike fear in their hearts, they only cooed and condescended about what a good little cat I was. Hmm, not working according to plan. There was a sort of gathering of their accomplices. I was placed in solitary throughout the event. However, I could hear the noise and smell the food. More importantly, I overheard that my confinement was due to my power of allergies. Must learn what this is and how to use it to my advantage. I am convinced the other captives are flunkies and maybe snitches. The dog is routinely released and seems more than happy to return. He is obviously a half-wit. The bird, on the other hand, has got to be an informant and speaks with him regularly. I'm certain he reports my every move. Due to his current placement in a metal room, his safety is assured, but I can wait. It's only a matter of time. Now, I do have some evidence that at least one cat is trying to get to heaven. I want to show you a picture, actual picture. This is from the Sambari Wildlife Refuge in northern Kenya. That is a lioness, a full-grown lioness, that has adopted a little baby oryx, which is kind of an antelope-like creature. She has the little uh, animal walk around with her all day. For about 15 minutes a day, she allows a female oryx to feed it, and otherwise, she takes care of this little creature. Now, it's not the first little oryx that she's adopted. She adopted one earlier, but she went to sleep and the other lions ate it. So evidently, this little lion is thinking if she shows kindness to one of God's creatures, she can get to heaven. I would argue, however, that this cat doesn't even think she's a cat. She thinks she's a deer. So I still hold on to the hope there won't be cats in heaven. Now, it's been fun, and it's interesting to speculate on the next life with regard to animals that we love. 
When it comes to people that we love, the concerns become much more intense. Tonight, what I want to do is consider some of the most frequently raised concerns about heaven that I hear. And while not wanting to be dogmatic, I do believe the Scriptures give us enough insights to be of great encouragement to us. The first question will take me the longest amount of time to deal with, so bear with me. Where do saints go when they die? I'm asked this often. Now, in the Old Testament, the abode of the dead is called Sheol. I'll give you an example. Psalm 89, verse 48. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? And that's in the New American Standard Translation. Most of your Bibles will just say, the power of the grave. And often when you see that phrase, the grave, in your Old Testament, the actual Hebrew word is Sheol. Sheol was the place where all of the dead went. Now, the Greek term for Sheol is Hades. Now, the Hebrews came to understand that Sheol, or Hades, was the intermediate abode of the dead, and it was made up of two realms. One realm they called paradise, and the other they called Tartarus, for the wicked. Paradise was for the righteous. Jesus seemed to reinforce this view when he told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. You remember Lazarus died, he went to Abraham's bosom. The rich man went to a place of torment. Now, Jesus also told the thief on the cross when they died, remember, today, not later, today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, this is where I may give some of you something new to think about. At this point, it does not appear that paradise and heaven were the same place. Jesus was not in heaven the three days between Calvary and Easter. Remember, uh, we know he preached to the spirits in prison, it says in 1 Peter 3, but also when he rose from the dead and Mary wanted to grab him, remember what he said, John 20, verse 17, don't cling to me. For I haven't yet, I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God, and your God. Apparently, the saints in the Old Testament could not go to heaven and live in God's presence until their sins were atoned for. Because Hebrews says before Christ died, it was a time of forbearance for their sins, not a time of forgiveness until Calvary happened. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins. Now, they weren't in a time of torment. They were in a place Jesus called Abraham's bosom. But until their sins were atoned for, they could not yet enter into the presence of God. Maybe this is what Paul is alluding to in Ephesians 4.8 when he said, When Jesus ascended, he took with him captives into heaven. I believe Jesus says, I am now the owner of death and Hades. When he conquered death, he earned the right to open the door to Sheol. And when he did, he released the righteous saints who had been waiting there. And so after Jesus' ascension, it's interesting, from that point on, Paradise and heaven are in the same place. And so Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 12, I know a man taken up and see the third heaven. He saw unimaginable things he can't even talk about. And he calls it paradise. 
It's also interesting, after Jesus ascends, from that point on in the New Testament, the righteous dead are always referred to as being in heaven. Now, some of you are ahead of me, and you're thinking, wait a second, Rick, last week you said that heaven is going to be the new earth that's going to come when Jesus appears again, we get our new bodies. How can saints be in heaven if Jesus hasn't come back, we haven't got our new bodies, the new earth hasn't been established? Well, there is a heaven. The heaven that one, one day will come to earth now exists in a spiritual dimension of reality which God has hidden from us where Jesus now lives in His resurrected body. Now, I believe what happens when the righteous die is that their spirits immediately upon death go to this heaven to, as Paul puts it, be with Christ in Philippians 1.23. By the way, nowhere does the Bible ever talk about the resurrection of spirits. Just the resurrection of the body. Do you remember that... Um, Stephen is, is being attacked. And it says he saw heaven opened. And he saw Jesus standing there at the right side of God. And so in Acts 7, verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now what some people say, because death and sometimes in the Bible is called sleep, is that when we die, we go to sleep. And when you're asleep, you don't know how long you're asleep. You just wake up. And said, so that's how it's going to be. We're all going to go to sleep, and so we don't know how long we'll be asleep. We'll all wake up, and it'll be the parousia. Jesus will come back. And so it'll all be the same resurrection day it will seem like to us. And that's what I used to believe. I don't anymore. That view, I think, fails to reckon with Scriptures that imply there is a waiting time between the death of a righteous person and the return of Jesus. I'll show you two Scriptures. One is in Revelation 6. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Notice, I saw the souls of the martyrs. These martyred saints are clearly not asleep. And while their present state is secure, their future victory is assured, they're clearly anticipating and with eagerness their full vindication. They're in heaven, but they're waiting for something more. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4. See if you catch a very interesting seeming contradiction in this text. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. Okay, When Jesus comes back, all the Christians who have died are coming back with Him. Keep reading. Now I can tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet Him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. You notice that. How are they going to come back with Jesus if they're in their graves waiting to be resurrected? See, what's going to happen is the spirits that are in heaven now are going to come with Jesus. The resurrected glorified bodies are going to be raised 
We're going to receive our glorified bodies at the rapture. The earth is going to be purged with fire and we'll return to the new earth. And so, when I preach at funerals, I don't have any problem saying about a righteous saint. They are now in heaven with the Lord. At my death, my spirit will immediately go to be with Christ. There will be no layover in Hades. It will be the best day I've ever lived. But it will not be the best day I will ever live. That will come when Jesus returns and I receive my glorified body. Now that's a whole lot to chew on. So if you want to check out for the rest of the sermon, you have my permission. But if you want to stay with me, i got five more questions. Here we go. Do people in heaven know what we are doing? I'm asked this a lot. Well, we've already seen in Revelation 6 that the saints in heaven that are told to wait a little longer, they say, Lord, how long till we're avenged? They're given white robes to wear, and they're said, wait a little longer. Well, we know that they have more than just a passive interest in the affairs of earth. What do we know about what people in heaven know? Well, we know that they know of the activities of the wicked and of the evil acts done by persecutors of the church. They know what is being done by unrighteous men, and they long for vindication. I think they know when a sinner repents, and they rejoice about it. Look with me at Luke 15.10. I'm going to give an old verse a new twist. Because a lot of you have read this verse for years and missed what it says. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now typically we read that and say that means angels rejoice. I'm sure they do. We've always heard people get baptized and somebody says right now the angels are rejoicing. I'm sure they are. But what does it say? There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Who is rejoicing in the presence of the angels? I think it's the righteous saints who are with the Lord Jesus. Now I'll tell you what else they know. They watch us as we run the Christian race. As the Hebrew writer in chapter 11 mentions all the heroes of the faith who were longing for a heavenly city, he says, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, the image he's created that the early reader would have understood was a big old Greek or Roman arena with all the people up in the stands and the runners out on the field running in the lines marked out for them. And what he's saying is, we've got all these witnesses up in the stands watching us run. Now, you people that love sports knows there's such a thing as a home field advantage. There's something about playing better when all the people that love you are watching you play. And what he's saying is, you've got that advantage. You ought to be motivated to greater faithfulness when you think of all the righteous saints, especially your loved ones, who are watching you run and cheering you on. Now, let me just add one last note of warning. I do believe the righteous in heaven are very aware of what we're doing. However, 
Scripture clearly warns the believer against ever trying to contact those who have died. I know in grief, when you've lost someone you really love, you are very susceptible to a temptation to someone who says, I can get you in touch with them. These people called mediums traffic in the realm of demons. And they come under the harshest judgments of Scripture. And all of you who play with palm readers and tarot cards and read your horoscopes and think that mediums are no big deal, I am telling you as your pastor teacher, stay away from that stuff. It is demonic, and Scripture is clear. We are not to try to contact the dead. Okay, question three. Will we know each other in heaven? The Bible says each person who will inherit salvation is carefully listed by name in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus alludes to this when the 70 come back from their first preaching mission in Luke 10, verse 20. He says, don't rejoice just because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. Jesus said that we will sit down and eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared. They have clearly kept their identities when they appear with Jesus. And the interesting thing is that the disciples immediately recognize who they are. Now, how did they do that? I don't think Moses and Elijah had on name tags. I believe that we will know each other in heaven. I can't fathom the Father gathering His family together as total strangers. Paul clearly expects to know and to enjoy his converts in heaven. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 14, On the day when our Lord Jesus comes back again, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. I believe we will be reunited with saints we love, we'll be introduced to saints we admire, and we'll have a new earth full of new friends to make. W.A. Criswell, the great esteemed pastor of North, uh, First Baptist in Dallas for years, was asked one time, will we know each other in heaven? And he said, we will not really know each other until we get to heaven. What about children in heaven? These last three questions can get very personal. Okay? What about children in heaven? Everyone who's been to the funeral of a child, especially if it was yours, has wondered about this. The Bible makes no reference to babies or children in heaven. It's reasonable to assume that God will permit children who die to spend eternity in a more mature state. You see, most likely at the resurrection, the child will receive the glorified body that will reflect who they would have become. We've all been at funerals of a child where someone says something, I can just see that baby now up in Uncle Gene's lap. Well, I'm sure that's a very comforting thought, but the fact is I don't think 
the baby will be in heaven, I think the, the person that baby would have been will be in heaven. For example, now this is just my opinion, you can disagree. I believe aborted fetuses will be in heaven. The life God intended will not be denied its destiny because of a choice a person didn't have a right to make. I don't believe they will be in heaven as a fetus, but the person God created them to be will spend eternity with Lord Jesus. That's what I really do believe. How old was Adam when God created him? Well, you could say he was one day old, but he would have appeared as a young, dynamic man. It's my personal opinion that when we get to heaven, our bodies will reflect that image. For example, I, I never saw or remember my dear grandmother except as a short, plump lady with blue hair. And while I long to see her again, I don't think that's how she'll look in heaven. I think she will be instead more like that picture I have seen of the lovely spelt girl with dark brown hair that my grandfather fell in love with. I plan to live a long time, but I'm telling you now, I don't plan to spend eternity looking like John Jones. And so, I believe we will inherit new bodies, young and old, that will be at our maximum capacity to enjoy eternity. I think God loves children too much to let them spend eternity unable to enjoy heaven or Himself at their fullest potential. Why will there be no marriage in heaven? Let's go back and read what Jesus said. You remember the Sadducees, whose God was so small they didn't believe in resurrection, gave Jesus the riddle of the woman that married seven different men, wondering who she would be married to in the next life. Luke 20, Jesus replied, Marriage, Luke 20, verse 34-36, Marriage, is for people here on earth. But that's not the way it will be in the age to come. For those worthy of being raised from the dead won't be married then. And they will never die again. In these respects they are like angels. They are children of God raised up to new life. Now, let me be clear about something. Jesus is not saying we will be angels. Nor is he saying that we will be genderless clones in heaven. Heaven will have a place for maleness and for femaleness, but not for marriage. Why not? I can only speculate. For one thing, procreation will no longer be expected. When he made Adam and Eve, he told them to multiply and fill up the earth with more people. I believe in heaven the number of saints, just like the number of angels, will be eternally fixed. For another thing, marriage function as a signpost will no longer be needed. Your marriage is a signpost. It's hard to understand, but Paul says in Ephesians 5 that when a man and woman become one flesh, they are illustrating the mystery of Christ and His commitment to His church. That is one of the purposes of marriage. It's one reason why Satan is so busy attacking marriage. He's trying to destroy the picture. But in heaven, that picture won't be necessary anymore. 
And finally, it must be remembered that one of marriage's chief functions was to help men and women get to heaven. Isn't that ultimately the measure of a successful marriage? When everything else is considered, a successful marriage is a marriage where a man and woman help each other get to heaven. Now, I think this is one of the most upsetting thoughts about heaven. And I can understand why. Most of us in this room have lived many years with a person we deeply love, and the thought of that being eternally ended is disconcerting to us. How can it be heaven without my mate? My thought on that is that the end of a partnership does not mean the end of a deep relationship. You know, Jesus was sinless. And he loved everybody. But he held a deep affection for some more than for others. Some were closer to Jesus than others. I believe the new earth will include the new brotherhood of men, but that does not preclude the existence of special relationships. I suspect for all eternity, my wife and I, Jamie and I, although we won't be married in heaven, will have a very deep bond unlike those I'll have with almost anyone else in heaven. And then, I'll just go ahead and say it, because I think a lot of you think it, but you're afraid to say it. How can it be heaven without sex? Do we really think heaven will be a place of less pleasure than earth? In heaven, all of our desires will be good Desires and none of them will be frustrated. Perhaps there are joys far greater than sexual fulfillment God has in store for us. Besides, there will be marriage in heaven. Jesus will be the bridegroom and we will be the bride. And somehow I don't think we will find it disappointing. And then the final question, maybe the hardest one. How can it be heaven if my loved ones are not there? The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus is happy in heaven. Even though multitudes whom he loves will not spend eternity with him. How can this be? Well, perhaps the glories of the next life will simply overwhelm the memories of this life. Isaiah prophesies and speaks the words of God in chapter 65, verse 17. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered nor will they come to mind. Another thing to consider is that in the next world, we will come to so much more mature and understanding of the justice of God than we presently have. 
And we will unflinchingly affirm all of His judgments. As we stand before God and as we marvel at His absolute holiness and His righteousness and His purity, we will not question the judgment of God or wonder how He could have sent anybody to hell. What we will do is be overwhelmed by grace and we will marvel at how He could have sent anybody to heaven. And remember, God Himself said He would see to it that nobody in heaven will grieve. He said, I will wipe away your tears and there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more sorrow. And God keeps His promises. These are hard questions. I don't pretend that I have perfect answers. I believe there is an answer that's a good answer. And that is to believe that the God of heaven is bigger than our concerns. During World War II, the King of England ordered an evacuation of children from the bomb-torn areas of London. So many parents took their children to trains where they could be taken to safer parts of the country to wait out the worst parts of the war. The story is told of a mother and father that puts their young son and daughter on one of these trains, and as it takes off and they say goodbye, the little girl starts to cry because she's scared. She has no idea where she's about to go. And brushing away his own tears, the little boy puts his arm around his sister and he says, I don't know where we're going either, but the king knows, so don't worry. That's the best answer I can give when we have questions about heaven. The God of the Sadducees was too small. When we all get to heaven and we see how great God is, I think we'll have all the answers we need. Bow your heads, please. Father, None of us presumes, least of all me, to have a total understanding of things to come. But we're thankful, God, that you gave us glimpses. That you didn't just let us wander in darkness about all this, but throughout your scripture you gave us hints and you gave us glimpses and you pulled back the curtains and let us take peaks at heaven so that we could be encouraged and have reason to stay in the race. God, help us. We do have questions, and in this life we have lots of heartaches. And especially when people we love die, our concerns flood our minds, and we're, we're in a constant struggle with the evil one to fight doubts about your goodness and about our destiny. We pray against him and against doubt. We will hold on to the pictures that we do have, and we will affirm that you, God, are the ultimate answer. We hear again the words of Jesus to the Sadducees. You do not understand the word of God, and you do not understand the power of God. You are badly mistaken. Well, we're not going to make that mistake, God. We believe in your word, and we believe in your power. 
And we believe it is possible for you to prepare for us a place where all the things that hurt us now will be gone forever. We pray for that day to come soon. But we pray until that day that we will live worthy of such a calling. May our marriages, may our work, may our speech, may our play and even our sleep testify that we are on a journey. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Elders and ministers are going to be in room 109 tonight. Maybe right now you are in a time of mourning or crying. And it would help you to go and talk and be prayed for tonight. They'll be waiting for you. I'll be down front to encourage anyone ready to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Someday we'll all be in heaven. No more questions then.